The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Abandon limits, abandon convention, embrace your own beauty. Style isn't worn, it is embodied. That's the beginning of the mission statement of Delicate Rain, a beautiful upscale fashion line out of Los Angeles. And we're going to be interviewing the founders and and the sister team who uh, are behind Delicate Rain in just a moment here. I also want to give you a heads up about who will be coming on after the first break on today's episode of Main Street Vegan. It's a little bit of a change. I think some of you had heard that uh, Jasmine Singer was going to be on today with her new book, Always Too Much and Never Enough. That's been switched. She's going to be on in a few weeks. So that today we were actually able to do something that we usually don't do because we schedule people so far in advance. We are going to be able to do something Ripped from the headlines. And that is interview Mike Stura of Skylands Animal Sanctuary and Rescue, the new home of Freddy, the steer who escaped from a New York slaughterhouse just last week and got all kinds of press. So from fashion to saving animals and fashion that saves animals, I'm so happy that you're with us today on the Main Street Vegan Show. I am Victoria Moran. I write books. I run an academy that trains vegan lifestyle coaches. I do this program. I speak all over and do whatever I possibly can to make the world safe for veganism. I feel that my role in all of this is just to make it more normal and more Main Street, to live compassionately and sanely and have great adventures while doing it. So thank you for sharing in that vision and spending this time with us. My first guests, co-founders Meg and Comey, are Delicate Rain. And if you happen to be on your computer and you're looking that up even as we speak, it's spelled in a very interesting way. You have to be a smart vegan with a good brain to get this right. It's Delicate, D-E-L-I-K-A-T-E, and Rain, R-A-Y-N-E. And oh yes, DelicateRain.com and their Twitter and their Facebook, I will put on the Main Street Vegan show notes. So you can look those up at MainStreetVegan.net, click on podcast, and you'll see those. Using their upbringing, born and raised vegetarian, 
The sisters Meg and Comey never tasted meat, yahoo, and their adoration of animals. Delicate Rain is creating green luxury, definitive and progressive designs with a purpose into existence. Their pieces are ethically and consciously made in Los Angeles, California, 100% animal-friendly, plus using eco-friendly vegan leather to provide an array of guilt-free, seasonless garments that create a harmonious blend of humaneness, opulence, and street style. Welcome, Megan Comey. Hi. Thank you so much for having us. Well, it's so wonderful to have you and to have been invited, of course, to look at your fabulous website. Oh, my gosh. Your clothes are so elegant, so simple, and to the point. So, in a way, to me, they kind of mirror the vegan lifestyle, wouldn't you say? Definitely. (laughs) Thank you for making the connection. (laughs) That's um, something that... Yes? Oh, sorry. Um, I was just waiting for you to continue. Oh, we were just saying that uh, that's something that was important to us to kind of blend the two in a not super obvious way, but just, you know, the understated tone. So it's there, the back of your mind. Yes, yes. So let's start with the bad stuff first. What is the most cruel product in the fashion industry? I would, I mean, I would have to say probably leather, um, you know, 50 million animals are usually killed for just accessories alone, being handbags and shoes. Um, I know that fur is really cruel as well, along with um, wool yeah, and silk. But fur and leather, um, because of the high amounts that are used over, you know, a spread of all the different types of garments, especially leather, because you can go into shoes, like Comey mentioned, bags, accessories, there's just so much leather being used. And I don't think people are as aware of the fact that that is not a cruelty-free item. Most people just tend to go for the fur because it's the obvious choice. Mm-hmm. But leather is actually more widely used. Oh, much more. Where, right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's so very interesting. Because even with the resurgence in popularity of fur, very few people wear it when you compare it to leather, which is almost universal. I love it on your clothing. You say vegan leather. You don't call it some other kind of thing. Why can't we have vegan leather and just own it? I mean, that's where we're headed, or so we hope. I think the thing is that people are still not aware as to what vegan leather really is. That's something that uh, comes up a lot. But also it's just anytime someone is trying to place leather or fur or silk or wool or any of these items that have been ingrained in everyone's minds as super luxurious items are just so synonymous with, uh, you know, a higher class and just, you know, something that's almost unattainable. I think when they read something that isn't that, they automatically think, oh, well, does that mean it's not as cool? It's not as worthy? And I think also it's like, um, just to piggyback on what Meg said, it's, you know, the term vegan, sometimes people feel that if they don't actually consume a vegan diet, they feel that vegan clothing cannot be worn by them. And that's something that we're trying to change. Um, We want to change people's, like, perceptions on what like cruelty free and like vegan clothing actually means because we want to show people that it actually can be cool and it can be fun and it doesn't have to be like granola or stale that most people perceive it to be (laughs) yeah (laughs) I mean that stereotype is definitely uh, a huge one and that's what we really want to try and change yeah even if it means, and Comey brought up a really good point about um, the whole vegan lifestyle. There are a lot of people that think if they don't, if it's not all the way, then they're not making a difference. And I think people should realize that it's all about baby steps. It's not this huge overnight change that's going to take place. It's Even if you decide, hey, you know what, I am going to purchase that vegan leather jacket versus a real leather jacket, that's one step towards making a compassionate choice and bringing more of that into your lifestyle. 
Oh, it absolutely is. I remember when one of the prominent prominent plant-based eaters uh, decided to go back to being an omnivore and she was getting a lot of flack. And, you know, I wrote to her and I just said, sorry to be losing you. Please just don't go out and buy leather pants because, you know, there are a lot of people (laughs) who still, you know, they still say I need more protein or whatever. And, you know, we're all about helping them come to understand that they can live well as a vegan, but for people who just don't have their eyes open there, they can wear your glorious clothes. Every little bit does help, as you say. Somebody said to me early on, when this touches you anywhere, it touches you everywhere. And if you just allow it, that absolutely happens. So while we're on leather, the argument that we sometimes hear is, oh, yeah, but you guys wear that fake leather that's so bad for the environment. What do you tell them? Well, we actually say that we try to educate them on how we make sure that the leather that we actually design with is PVC-free. Um, PVC is just one of, like, an ingredient that's, like, so toxic to the environment. It's um, plastic-based. It just embodies a lot of severe and harmful chemicals that allow it not to be recyclable and rot in these landfills that, in turn, are exuding toxins into the environment. Um, right, and, and so. leather is no environmental great shakes by any stretch either. So Yeah, it's just, it's always just the other side of the coin. I mean, I think it's just really about um, understanding where your threshold is for that and mm-hmm. to just try to make a more educated decision what's working for your lifestyle. And at the very least, if you're even thinking about going – you know, the faux leather route, It PU is the way that you would want to go right. because it's just a greener alternative to both leather and PVC. Yeah, it's just as simple as looking at the care label and seeing what fabrication it is. PU is just a more stable and secure way of decreasing the carbon emissions that lead to overall global warming. Right. So your fashions are truly fashionable. I mean, we could just slap Vogue.com on your site and nobody would know the difference. <laughs> yeah. So what what do the big players in the fashion industry think of this rise in vegan fashion? I feel a lot more uh, fashion houses are being a little bit more acceptive of the concept than ever before. Um, you know, you have a household name as Givenchy come with their, with you know their beautiful handbags, and they're offering an actually vegan leather handbag alternative to people that actually do want something that is made out of vegan leather as opposed to real leather. Um, obviously, you have Stella McCartney that offers all sorts of things that are you know that's her principle, and she offers everything like that. But you know, with her being also um, part of the Gucci group, I think she's taking a good stance and trying to educate other people, you know, on that level of how we need to actually pay more attention to these things. I think um, the big fashion houses are really good with the sustainability factor side of things. Like they really push yeah. the eco-friendly elements um, because that is probably a lot more in line with what affects them directly because mm-hmm. everyone wants – we all want to save the planet because where else are we going to live, right? So mm-hmm. to them, that's something that they really, I think, tend to shine a lot of light on. Um, I don't think a lot of people realize the direct connection and correlation cruelty-free fashion has to sustainability. I think once that um, – is brought more to the forefront, people can start offering alternatives as well. I mean, there's sprinklings here and there, but it's not, you know, a huge situation like Stella McCartney is. She's probably still just the forefront runner in terms of um, really trying to educate and offer luxurious items at a designer price point. Now, with your line, are you the designers, or do you get these fashions from other places? Where where does Delicate Rain come from? Oh, yeah, we we actually design everything ourselves. Ooh. 
Uh, well, you're very talented. <laughs> I was saying before we, we went on the show, I was just on the site, and no wonder you're out of stock <laughs> on these fabulous vintage <laughs> leggings. Oh, my gosh. I hope you'll make them again next year. Now, one of the things that you talk about, too, are the negative aspects of fast fashion. Thank you so much. And I'll ask you to describe that for anybody who doesn't know what it is. But also, your fashions and a lot of the other wonderful vegan fashions are really not in the budget of the average person. So first, tell us about fast fashion and then tell us about people on a budget and what do they do? So with fast fashion, um, it's really just the idea of creating something at a really low quality and a really low price point and just serving it out to the masses without any rhyme or reason behind what you're even doing. It's just you're a blob that's on this, you know, chain of... Just factory just churning out these items and no one knows if you're working in the dark or children making your items, what's your working condition, how are you even being paid. Um, I'm not sure if you've watched the documentary True Cost, Mm -hmm. which sheds a lot of light on who's really making your clothes. And once you really understand how fast fashion works, you can start asking questions like, who's really behind my clothes? What has really gone into the making of my product? And that's these are the questions that need to start being asked so people can get a better idea of how fast fashion is actually killing the planet. Yeah. With fast fashion, it's like the main concern is just, okay, how many styles and how many colorways can I produce in like a short amount of time? You know, they're not really thinking about like, what are the other effects by producing all this stuff in such a fast turnover? How, you know, it's affecting a human life or just the environment in general. Um, And in terms of, you know, stuff that's not fast fashion being a little bit more expensive, it's My argument's always, you know, if you want something a higher quality, you're going to have to be willing to pay a higher price. When you're going into restaurants, it's the same thing with, you know, fast food versus a nice restaurant that offers sit down meal. Right. Like you're, you're paying for something that's better for you in the long run. We, I mean, fast fashion is not an investment. It's just a passing situation. You can, like, wear it one night and throw it away, and there's no skin off your back, and you don't even think twice because it probably fell apart after two wears anyway. Mm-hmm. But something that you're actually going to put the money towards, that's an investment. You're going to have it in your closet for years to come. You're going to be able to constantly wear that, mix it and match with your existing wardrobe. And so you're actually not only doing something better for yourself monetary-wise because you are saving, you know, by purchasing this one product that you can continuously use, but you're also helping downsize all the stuff that you have. I mean, we're just so oversaturated today with all this clutter. I mean, your mind spins from it. How do you get out of this mess? You need to start decluttering every aspect of your life. And I think your closet's a great place to start. You don't need a million and one things. You just need a good edited wardrobe. Yeah, and you can also um, have something that's a little bit more personable because it's not – you don't have to worry about, like, you know, 50 other women or 100,000 other women having the same dress as you. You Yeah, You can have something a little bit more customizable. And also it's, you know, having a limited amount of clothing is you don't have that much stuff to take care of. Mm. (laughs) So It's a beautiful life. And again, I think you are really echoing the whole vegan ethos. You're just taking it into the closet. And I love it to pieces. So let's just tell people Thank some you. other cool things about you. Delicate Rain, and remember that's D-E-L-I-K-A-T-E-R-A-Y-N-E, won the Outstanding Vegan Creative Award in the 2015 Vegan of the Year Awards. Did you know we got the um, Vegan Media Outlet? <laughs> that was cool. Yes, yes we did. Congratulations. So, um, <laughs> gosh, 
so much is happening in Australia. A shout out to everybody down under the Vegan of the Year Awards people and everybody else doing so much good out there. Megan Comey also styled PETA's first ever vegan fashion lookbook, which launched for the fall-winter 2015 season and included some delicate rain pieces. They've been featured on E! Online, Huffington Post, Ecouterre, and and fashion publications like The Zoe Report and Stylecaster. You guys are just about to change the world one pair of fringe leggings at a time so everybody <laughs> check them out delicaterain.com they're delicate rain on facebook twitter instagram pinterest and ladies bless your hearts and your needles and thread all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. And thanks so much for joining us today. Everybody else, stay with us. We'll be back with Mike Stura of Skylands Animal Sanctuary and Rescue. you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world that's easier than ever with mobile giving just text unity radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Culture is defined by the Oxford Dictionary as modern popular culture transmitted via mass media and aimed particularly at younger people. But can it be meaningful, spiritual even? The hosts of Pop Conscious think it can be and that it can be fun to explore too. Malena Don and Stacy Macris Ross will be your amateur cultural anthropologists examining pop culture and spirituality every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on Pop Conscious on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Somewhere, tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a hundred years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, For Unity Classic Radio, words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio, words from our past, every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, Right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. You're 
You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, everybody, and welcome to a first here on the Main Street Vegan Show. It just occurred to me that we need to be focusing on sanctuaries in a little more uh, regular kind of way. And we've had some big sanctuaries represented. We've had Farm Sanctuary, Woodstock Farm Sanctuary, Catskill Animal Sanctuary, and we've had some smaller ones. We've had Pigs a Sanctuary in West Virginia. We've had, um, oh, up in uh, Vermont, Brave Birds... Mm, Vine, Vine Sanctuary. But what I want to do now, since we're talking to uh, Mike Stirrer just about to here in the winter, we're going to do Seasonal Sanctuary Spotlight. So you can know that once a season, we're going to be talking about these people who are actually out there in the trenches and in the barns taking care of these wonderful animal ambassadors who do manage to escape uh, really awful circumstances. I'm so, so happy um, that Danielle Legg, thank you, Danielle, was able to get Mike Stura for us today. You might remember this show a couple of months back when uh, Danielle was on talking about rescuing a couple of chickens from a slaughterhouse. And uh, then she called Mike and said, uh... <laughs> I have a chicken, which I guess happens to you quite a bit, Mike. I also love that you so get to the point. This guy is the real deal. We were talking before the show about the, the well, we always say cow. This is a steer, actually, that escaped last week, Freddie. Lots of press all over the country. And, and, and Mike said, well, I don't really know about that because we're so busy taking care of the animals. I love that. And and here's his bio. Now, you know, sometimes I have people on and the bio is like a page long. His bio is animal rescuer and founder of Skylands Animal Sanctuary, truck driver and truck mechanic. Welcome, Mike Stura. Uh, hello, Victoria. Thank you for having me on. Well, it's it's absolutely wonderful, and thank you for taking this time away from all that is going on there at the farm. So let's start with Freddie, since I think that's on, on everybody's mind. How did this particular being find refuge at your place? Um, I was driving along in my truck the other day, actually, uh, and I got a call from my friend Franny, um, basically saying, did you see the text I just sent you? I said, no, I'm driving. She said, there's a cow loose in Queens. And I said, okay, um, how'd he get loose? And she said, he escaped the slaughterhouse. And I think they may have brought him back to the slaughterhouse. So uh, I just drove over and grabbed my trailer and started heading to Queens. So did you have to negotiate? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I didn't know what was going on at the time. I just started heading that way. And um, a little bit into it, I, I, w- I was speaking to the police on the phone, and, and I got the name of the place and the phone number, and I called them. This is the live market where the steer had escaped from. And I started speaking to one of the – he, he um, identified himself as one of the bosses. And I said, uh, you know – Maybe you can let this guy live, you know. Uh, maybe you can let him live. And he, at first, he he seemed like he was he was fairly on board with the with the idea of it. And all of a sudden, he could I, I could hear him kind of get the idea in his head, or maybe someone said in his ear, "This animal was promised to someone. Uh, they had a deposit on him. That's the only reason we brought him in. And I cannot give him to you." And so, after a few minutes, I was able to persuade him to talk to the people uh, and ask them if they might let him go. So he called me back in 10 or 15 minutes, and he said, I'm sorry, they didn't want to hear about it at all. I can't, I can't let him go. And I said, well, you know, by this time I'm already about an hour into the drive at least. I think I'll just keep coming uh, anyway. And maybe if they, if you speak to them again, you know, you could tell 
this guy who's going to give the animal a good home and and all this, and, and, and maybe they'll change their mind. So I hit a, quite a bit of traffic. Um, so I kept calling. I called him several times, and by then, I guess his phone was being inundated with calls. The first time I called, I got right in. I think I must have been like one of the first people to get in. And so I got right to him, and he wasn't upset. But in the meantime, I guess many calls had come, and his tone had stopped little, and he'd put his brother on the phone, who was a totally different type of guy, and uh, so it was kind of a little roller coaster up and down as to whether or not I was going to be able to get him out of there. Um, so they said they would be there until about 8 p.m. With all the traffic, I got there at about 7.10, and they were gone already. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. Oh, no. I looked in, I looked around, looked in every window, and no one was there. No one. And I was like, this is not good. So I uh, stayed in my truck um, outside the place until the next morning, and early, I, I don't know, maybe 6.30 or so, 6 o'clock, uh, some workers came in. They walked right past me um, and walked into their place. I went in and banged on the glass and, and got the one guy to speak to me, and um, he in turn got another guy and another guy, and, and to be honest with you, they told me an untruth at first. The first guy told me, well, the animal um, got back on a trailer uh, and went back to where he came from. That, that farmer took him back. And I said, boss, when did that happen? He said, last night. I said, well, I've been sitting outside all night. No one has come or gone from here, and I know that's not a true story. So, uh, you know, are you really considering sticking with that one? Uh, and at which point he turned around and got his boss for me, who came out and and uh, and told the truth. And, and uh, you know, a few minutes of speaking, um, and eventually they, they allowed me to have him. Uh, they allowed me to have him. Oh, that that's truly amazing. Because the first I heard of it, my husband had uh, emailed me a, a link to a story that that explained the escape, but then said that he was going to be slaughtered the next day. And so it was just later when, I guess it was the next day, when, when we heard that you had him. So that was such incredibly good news. And I just also want to remind everybody that this is the Northeast. We're talking about a New York City slaughterhouse. Skylands Animal Sanctuary is in New Jersey, Wantage, New Jersey. And this is January. And Mike, you said, I stayed in the truck outside the place till the next morning, the way some people would say I pulled into the parking lot of the Ramada Inn. I mean, this is dedication. (laughs) And well, you, you know, I, I wish I, I wish I could say that that part of it is dedication uh, from me. But honestly, that's like it's no big deal for me. I, I don't, I don't, I don't mind the cold. I don't mind. I don't mind any of that. I don't mind long hours. It doesn't mean anything to me. I've worked like that my whole life. I, I, I honestly, that doesn't. You know, I, I think people do seem somehow impressed by that, but that's my life. I, I, I honestly. It's, it was no big deal for me to do that right there, none. And I'm focused on stuff. Uh, once I latch on, I don't let go. You know, um, it, 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 I try very hard. So yeah. I, I don't really notice that kind of stuff. I, I honestly don't. Once the idea is in my head, I do my best to see something uh, through to the end, you know. Well, I'm going to be impressed anyway. Um, question on this particular <laughs> incident. There was a big article in the New York Daily News that was syndicated rather widely. And, and the reporter was saying, look, it's one animal and we, and he actually used the word murder. He said, we murder millions. Um, and so that cow, he said cow, I believe, should have just been killed and the meat given to poor people. Explain to us why these rescued animals are important, even though millions aren't so lucky. Okay, well, first, I I, I just want you to know, I haven't hardly seen any articles or anything on this, so I I can't directly refute what that person said, because I didn't read it myself. But, um, you know, first thing, when people say it's only one, um, in my mind, the people who say that are people who um, lack the empathy 
or the ability to put themselves in someone else's position because if if you know people or anyone were being lined up and, and slaughtered and uh, you were the one that was spared, you would be happy that it was just one. You know, you would be happy. I mean, would you have wished all the rest were also saved? Of course you would. But would you be grateful that you were the one that was saved? Of course. So does that one animal make the difference to all the animals? Of course not. But to that one animal, it's everything, isn't it? So, you know, to say just one is ridiculous. Um, so that's the first thing. And, you know, high-profile... High-profile rescues like this, sometimes they get knocked um, as if, you know, people only do these things because they're high-profile and things like that. You know, I, at first I'd like to say that, you know, three days before I was out on Long Island on a highway off-ramp trying to catch a chicken for seven hours. Um, so it's not always high-profile. The thing is, when it is high-profile like this, this animal, right, Freddie, he, he got my foot in the door. By him running, by him seeing a, a, a chance to make a break for it and running through the streets like that, he brought attention upon himself. That is the only way that I could possibly have gotten him out. If I had just gone to that slaughterhouse cold out of the blue and said, hey, you know, give me a, give me a steer, they would say, are you crazy? You know, <laughs> but this boy had gotten himself on television. He had gotten himself recognized. That is the only way. He he opened the door for me to stick my big foot in there and my big mouth and try and get him out. So well, um, oh. and and because of that, if you if you had heard all the phone calls I've gotten and all the nice notes and letters and stuff I've gotten from people, how it's touched people. I, I mean, I'm amazed by it. To be honest with you, how many people are crying and they're upset because just what you said. The story was he escaped. He was caught. He was brought back to the slaughterhouse, and he was killed the next morning as far as they know but they woke up the next morning and he was out so he put a face in my eyes he put a face on all these unseen unknown animals that we never have contact with until we see them under cellophane in a supermarket somewhere freddie is a face for all those others he's the same as them even though he's an individual his plight is the same so that's why these high-profile things and, and the one individual animal make a huge difference. They make a Absolutely. huge difference. I agree with you so much. I think of, of individual humans. I'm thinking at this moment of that little girl during the Vietnam War who ran from the napalm attack. Whether somebody was alive at that time or not, everybody knows that picture, that one poor child did so much to end that war. And you look at Freddie, you look at these individuals, and for some reason we can relate to individuals, we can't relate to thousands and millions and billions. So bless you for Freddie and Jimmy and everybody else you've saved. I want to move on to something that's kind of new on the scene and distressing to me, and that is this backyard butcher movement. And I know that back in October, you rescued eight sheep from one of these places. So tell us about this do-it-yourself killing operation fever that people think is chic or something, and how you got the sheep. Oh, well, that was uh, that was a big case, and we, we actually ended up taking eight sheep, ten pigs, and five calves from there. Uh, that was a big big operation that uh, a sheep had escaped this, this farm, uh, for lack of a better word, and had run out in the street and uh, was captured by a neighbor. The neighbor brought, brought the sheep to um, a veterinarian, and the, the poor animal died in a couple of days, passed away because of, of malnutrition, and, and uh, so that brought the eyes of the uh, I guess it was the SPCA uh, on this place. And so it was a place that was being leased um, by a guy who, who kept animals there and was breeding animals there, I guess, and was also, we didn't know it at the time, slaughtering animals there. Um, we found out when when um, our sanctuary and, and three others went in there and we we found the tools of slaughter and we found a a slaughtered Holstein cow that day, uh, uh, 
there that we it, it must have happened earlier that day by the by the way things the shape things were in and they had they had been you know hacking animals up with a chainsaw like a like a chainsaw like you would buy in the Home Depot and uh, a sawzall there was a sawzall sitting there with blood on it in, in a bucket you know and uh, and apparently they were taking the meat and selling it in their store um, and that that you know. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately to me, that will be the thing that probably causes these people the most trouble is the idea that they were doing things in an unsanitary fashion and using their own tools and stuff, not the idea that some some poor individual was hacked up with a chainsaw. Uh, you know, the law is, is lax on those kind of things. But, I, you know, I don't know what kind of a movement this is, how big a movement it is. I'm, I'm kind of stuck in my little my little world here, just taking care of the animals and all, but I can tell you that uh, Backyard Butcher, um, biggest biggest slaughterhouse in the world, uh, you know, organic, humanely raised, whatever. There's no, there's no humane way to take someone's life who wanted to live, someone who was healthy and happy and wanted to live. Uh, there's, no, there's no way to do it, but, you know, it doesn't matter who the butcher is to me. Wow. What a... Uh... You speak beautifully. What you do is far more important than anything you say, but you also speak beautifully. And I'm trying to write some of these quotes down for our show notes because these things really bear repeating. Now, you talked about that you're out in your neck of the woods with the animals. So you are in Wantage, New Jersey, W-A-N-T-A-G-E, Skylands Animal Sanctuary. Where is Wantage, New Jersey, and can people visit? It is straight north, uh, you know, in New Jersey, uh, 54 miles from New York City, uh, pretty close. Um, it is in the Skylands region of New Jersey. It's actually, it's not Newark Airport, folks, when you think about <laughs> New Jersey. It's, it's nice. It's, uh, it's a nice big farm we have here, and people can visit. Right now we're closed because we have uh, gotten about 15 inches of snow on the ground here, and I don't want anybody to fall and hurt themselves, but we will definitely be open in the spring, and if people watch our Facebook page, I would like to open um, more than that. Uh, you know, between now and then, if we get the proper weather to do so, I'd like to welcome people in because people are just dying to see Freddie and the other guys now. So right. I would like to uh, I would like to facilitate that and let them in. But yeah, it's beautiful. You can come up um, every Saturday and Sunday. Once we're open, we're open from 11 a.m. until 5 p.m. and you can come and take an educational tour with me, meet all the animals uh, that we rescue ourselves here and hear their stories. And for those of you who aren't a vegan yet, uh, you will also hear stories about animals just like them who never get to live on a place like this. Mm. Well, that brings me to my next question, because your website, which is skylandsanctuary.org, has a big old button right there in the front page, you absolutely can't miss it, about going vegan. Now, I don't think that all the sanctuaries are that vocal about the vegan part right up front and homepage and all of that. So why did you opt to do that, and why is it so important? It's the only reason I'm here. It's the only reason I'm doing this, and in my eyes, it's the only way I can do justice to these animals that I love and know as uh, my children, basically, is to try and educate other humans as to why we don't need to see these animals as commodities and we need to see them as individuals and let them live uh, lives on their own terms. Um, you know, and being a vegan is the only way that I have ever come across to, uh, to be able to do that. You know, um, most other things are us just talking, you know, and uh, we can, we can vote with our, with our actions every single day. We, we, we don't have to just talk. We can actually do. It's a lot easier than you think. You know, um, I've been doing it. I'm, I'm no Superman. I, I haven't had a piece of meat in 20 years. You know, I, I, uh, I'm 225 pounds. You know, I'm, I'm strong. Um, 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 we can do this. It's not, it's not the hardest thing in the world. If I can do it, anyone can do it. Uh, we just need to we need to make a few connections. We come here, and, and I try and make connections with people and, and make it easy for them to be a vegan. You know, um, most people wouldn't walk up to their kitchen countertop and take a bite out of it. Well, why not? Because they don't see it as food. That's how I like to teach people to look at animals. They're not food, 
So there's no reason to try and take a bite out of one. Then it's easy. It's a lot easier to do it when you make those connections than it is to think your the way you've always thought your whole life and deny yourself something every day. Once you change the way you think, you're not denying yourself anything. It's really easy. I love it. But what's your story? What what got you from regular guy to vegetarian, then vegan, then animal sanctuarian? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> well, I became a vegetarian first. Uh, I, I I was driving along in a truck. I'm a truck driver. I was talking to one of my friends who was a really excellent guy. He's since passed away, but he was an excellent guy. He was huge, about six foot five or six, maybe 400 pounds. Uh, he was a total gentleman. He was he was a really nice person. And he was talking to me about how he was going home that night and he couldn't wait because his wife had been marinating a London broil for the past, like, two days, and he was going to cook it on the grill, and he couldn't wait. And, like, a, there was nothing disgusting or gross about this man at all. And But all of a sudden, this image of him just gnawing on this huge piece of meat, it just suddenly it just seemed so gluttonous and so wrong. And I thought to myself, how many animals had to die for this man to grow this big? And that was it. That was the thing. I never ate another piece of meat since that image popped into my head. I never told him that story. He's gone now. Uh, but that was true. And then later on, years later, uh, a friend of mine, um, uh, Rebecca, had told me probably, I, I'm going to say, 20 words uh, about animals and about dairy. Uh, and that was the idea that, you know, um, cows were basically kept constantly pregnant. Uh, to produce milk the way they do, and basically, if we're not, if we're drinking milk, uh, usually there's a baby somewhere who isn't. And where did that baby go? You know, these calves, and that was it. Done. I went. I stopped immediately. Went home and began reading books. And I have now since read a stack of books that's taller than me. And I started volunteering at sanctuaries and trying to do the best I could and rescuing animals. I bought my first trailer to rescue animals with um, on my own. You know, I didn't even have land, and I, I couldn't stop myself, and I am driven. I can't stop myself. And now that these animals are here with me every day, I see their faces. I am more motivated than ever. Um, I, can't, I can't stop myself. Well, you are just as inspiring as heck. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. Now, you're not all alone out there as, as the sole human. I believe you do have uh, your other half. Uh, tell us about her and how does that work? That works good. Uh, my wife, Wendy, um, we've been together for 26 years, almost 27 years, and uh, she she is she's the one with the willpower because she doesn't make the quick connections uh, because she wasn't there when these epiphanies or the first one happened. But I come home and I'm a vegetarian all of a sudden, you know, and and tell her five things, and a couple days later, she decides she's going to be a vegetarian, you know, and then a vegan, we became vegan immediately at the same time together, so uh, Wendy is a hairdresser and uh, and does her thing, and we both volunteer here. I couldn't do this without Wendy. Um, you know, she's here with me. A lot of it is just us many times. You know, we have some great volunteers, but during the week, it's mostly just us right now, and it's a huge piece of land, and it's a it's a big undertaking. We have a fair amount of animals. Um, I couldn't do this uh, without Wendy. She's, she's a hard worker, I'll, I'll tell you that. She's passionate about these animals. You know, she doesn't have the big mouth that I have, um, <laughs> but she is a tremendous support system for me, and she does other things. She educates people a little bit on the food we eat here and things like that, which I don't do because I just eat. <laughs> you know, she <laughs> knows how it, how it, where it comes from and, and things like that. And sometimes we throw some things on the barbecue here and, uh, and give some people some stuff, too. Uh, that works out pretty well. Yeah, it's another way to bring people in. You just show them that the food is good. I think so often people are afraid. You know, you're, you're going to eat, I don't know, I think in an old Woody Allen movie, he was at a health food restaurant in L.A., and he said, I'll have the mashed yeast. And I think people, <laughs> a lot of them still think, yeah, mashed yeast, I think I'll pass. So it's wonderful <laughs> that the food is great and the 
attitude is better. So what would you say, Mike, to somebody who aspires to start a sanctuary? I would say if you really were thinking about um, starting a sanctuary, uh, you should intern at a bigger sanctuary somewhere for a while and learn things. You should um, you should attend the farm animal care conference at Farm Sanctuary with Susie Costin and and let her inform you of some of the things that really happen uh, um, at these places, not not the picture. You know, everyone thinks we're just standing around feeding apples to animals, uh, which is fantastic, but it, it never stops, never stops. Uh, you know, there's always animals in need. There's always phone calls coming that you have to help or unfortunately sometimes turn down animals. There's always, you know, it's zero degrees out or, you know, you get a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend. You can't just go out to the to the movies three nights. You know, it doesn't work that way. These animals need you. Once you take them in, it's, it's very expensive. It's, uh, it's very labor-intensive. It is very emotionally draining if you lose an animal or it doesn't go well. It is, it's a huge undertaking, and I wouldn't, I'm not trying to discourage people, but it's a lot more work than most people would imagine. Um, so in turn somewhere, learn what you can, take the farm animal care conference up at Farm Sanctuary, uh, inform yourself, and get a real grip on what's going on before you attempt it. Once you take an animal in, that animal is, is your responsibility. You know, he, he depends or she depends on you. Um, and, and the worst thing you can have is people getting, you know, 100 animals and then realizing this is too much and folding because the other sanctuaries out there cannot just take all your animals. So think about that. Go slow. Learn. And, and when Raise pe- money. Thank you. And when people looking to um, support um, sanctuary, I know there are a lot of sanctuaries now, but... How can you tell? I mean, I know that there are some places that call themselves sanctuaries and they're really animal hoarders. So is there a way to vet a sanctuary other than than visiting? It is tough. And I would say that, 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 I mean, what you just said was absolutely correct. And it's frightening be honest with you, and, and I don't know how it goes that way. It's Maybe it starts out with people who are well-intended. Um, I think also people see, I, I hate to say it, I, I believe there are places that see these animals as commodities and kind of act as if they're a sanctuary, so they, they buy and sell and trade in the animals. They, they uh, you know, their, their entire being depends on bringing in money from these animals for themselves also and it's very it's very scary so i mean volunteer at places that's that's the best thing you know if 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 it were me today if i were trying to wanted to find another place to donate money to and try and help them i would i would volunteer there and and find out what was going on for real um you know just a, a glitzy facebook page doesn't doesn't isn't really the way to do it you know Right, uh, right. That's the best way. And yeah. Now you way. guys are very active on Facebook. What's your Facebook handle? Oh, jeez. Well, I mean, it's just Sky. It's Skylands Animal Sanctuary. Okay, uh, great. And okay, Mike Stora. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Well, I'm going to put all this in the show notes so everybody can find you wherever you might be. And um, if you're in the New Jersey area, make a note on your, your calendar this spring to go out to Skylands and meet Freddie and all the other animals. So you have uh, pigs, cows, uh, sheep, goats, turkeys, chickens. Did I miss anybody? Ducks, geese. Yeah. Aw. Oh. oh. That's so wonderful. Well, I'm going to come, and then if you lose me, just look in the pig barn, because that's where I'll be. <laughs> Thanks I, so much I, for all you do. You have... Thank you. Thank, thank you so much for the opportunity here. I, I, well, I you have warmed my heart. <laughs> so, everybody, check out Mike and Wendy and SkylandsSanctuary.org. Next week, right here on the Main Street Vegan Show, we're going to be talking about a very cool health event happening down in Austin, Texas. It's called Austin Health Hoopla, happening in April. And then we're going to be interviewing a legend, John 
Robbins. If you went vegan back in the 90s, it was probably because you read Diet for a New America and you were fascinated that somebody would walk away from Baskin Robbins <laughs> to be a vegan and change the world. Well, nobody's surprised now because the world is changing. Thanks so much to Mike Stura of Skylands Animal Sanctuary. Thanks to Meg and Comey Vora of Delicate Rain. Thanks to Unity Online Radio for having the Main Street Vegan Show on their wonderful network. And Jeff, our handsome engineer with uh, a new beard that he calls his weak o'clock shadow. Looks nice to me. Everybody, God bless you and eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Spirit of Recovery is the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth. Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., interviews down-to-earth guests who share with you how they keep going and growing in recovery. Spirit of Recovery is the place to get practical tips and join in lively discussions on topics that matter to recovering people. This program welcomes everyone who wants to know more about recovery. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. A story from one of the world wars tells of a Christmas Eve when a spontaneous truce broke out on the battle line. French and German soldiers sang Christmas songs together shared food, gifts, and stories, and played games. For a few hours, there was peace. Peace passed with Christmas. The next day found the soldiers back in their foxholes shooting at each other. We can choose to see either the tragedy in this story, the soldiers did go back to fighting, or the possibility the story suggests that in any moment, in any situation, there can be peace. That Christmas Eve truce began with a single soldier singing. Others joined in. When I sing my song of peace, who knows how many will join me and how long the peace will last. I can make a difference. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. Somewhere. Tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a hundred years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Right here on Unity FM. The voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to live in joy? Is there an area of your life where you could use a miracle? 
Have you been praying for help and guidance? Come join Lisa and Bill and their guests for an hour filled with practical tips on experiencing miracles, greater abundance, focused, deliberate living, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Experience more joy in life. Listen to Living in Joy, Reflections on a Course in Miracles, with Lisa Natoli and Bill Free, every Friday at 2 p.m. Central, here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us, and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.